When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Wolf, and welcome to episode number 85 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, everyone who dons the orange and blue is unformidable. I'm going to cheat a little bit. We've done this a couple of times. Look at someone who never officially donned the orange and blue as a met. Uh, I've been thinking already uh, about, it's still about a month away, but the Mets further establishment themselves as a Seemingly legitimately good team, uh, one that should be looking to add pieces at the trade deadline, and that, that the trade wouldn't be a desperate swing-for-the-fences move like bizarre trades the franchise has made for Victor Zambrano, or let's be honest, even for Javier Baez. I mean, I enjoyed the Javi Baez experience, but it seemed pretty clear at the trade deadline that team was not going anywhere, and in both of those, Zambrano and Baez cases, uh, the price was a little high, and um, you know, don't get me started on on Diaz and Cano. Not a trade deadline trade, so I just won't get started on it. But the Mets have played a lot of games against the Marlins recently, as we record this in uh, the June of 2022. And uh, when they were playing uh, Jorge Soler, I heard uh, Howie Rose. I think as I was listening to the game driving upstate recently. 
uh, one of one of the games of recent vintage. He mentioned something that surprised me that until recent years, uh, with I think Steve Pierce of the Red Sox and Solaire last year, Don Clendenin had been the only midseason acquisition to win a World Series MVP for his acquiring club. And with that, and with uh, looking forward to seeing what the Mets might do this trade deadline, and honestly, just uh, trying to find older players, uh, you know, often focus on more modern players, uh, I decided to look back at a key piece in the trade that brought the Mets, Don Clendenin, uh, someone who, as I said, never officially made it to the majors as a Met, but nonetheless is a key name and played a key part in their amazing miraculous history and the foundation of that amazing myth that Amazing Avenue celebrates, uh, the unformidable Steve Renko. Steve Renko Jr. was born December 10th, 1944, in Kansas City. Kansas City, Kansas, that is. He actually went to Kansas University, uh, where he was a three-sport athlete, uh, a robust six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds as a college athlete. He starred as a basketball and football player, as well as baseball. Well, he definitely started as a football player, and he was on the basketball team. I don't know if he was a star. Uh, I don't know or follow college sports, but I do know that playing on the Kansas University basketball team is no small thing. And in fact, according to an article I read, or I think on Wikipedia. Uh, he was the school's last three-sport letterman. Uh, I, the article was, uh, actually, no, it was a Sabre article uh, from 2021. Uh, given how specialized college sports are now, that might actually be a very safe record. On the diamond, he shuttled between pitching, uh, where he, of course, had a great arm, uh, became a major league pitcher, uh, and the outfield, where he could really slug uh, and hit for power. Uh, on the grid lo- gridiron, uh, I know Kansas is not a traditional college football powerhouse, but he played quarterback, uh, played quarterback in the same backfield as Gale Sayers, uh, and he was selected in the 15th round of the 1966 AFL draft by the then Oakland Raiders. However, the big right-hander with the big arm had previously been drafted in the 25th round of the inaugural June draft in 1965 by our New York Mets, and he ultimately chose baseball uh, of his tryout with Oakland in front of Al Davis, uh, a very prescient Steve Renko felt uh, he wasn't offered enough money, in particular noting that all you have to do is watch on Sunday afternoons to see that those guys get hurt. And I mean, I know it's a different world now, but I like, I remember when Kyler Murray was drafted, I was like, I think I would choose baseball. I mean, I don't think I'd want people, uh, you know. I don't think I'd want to be a quarterback if I also was a first-round baseball draft pick. But then again, I'm heavily biased towards baseball, so what do I know? At any rate, uh, Renko had signed with the Mets and chose to stick with baseball and not pursue that football career despite his opportunity. Uh, he signed with the Mets as a pitcher-slash-first baseman and actually started out in his first couple of years in the minors purely as an outfielder. Uh, but Shohei Hotani, he would not quite be. He hit well overall in the Instructional League and in rookie ball, but he started to struggle by A ball. Uh, he did hit 17 homers in 1966 between single A and double A, uh, but he also hit only 209, uh, struck out a ton, had a 661 OPS, and you know less patience with hitters who struck out a ton in the 60s and. You know, perhaps also knowing that he had that great arm and that 
pitching option. Uh, the Mets transitioned him to pitching in 1967, and boy, did he flourish pretty immediately in the minors. In a 67 in A-ball, in his first year pitching in the minor leagues, uh, he at one point threw three straight shutouts, uh, amassed an 8-1 record, 1.61 ERA, a whip under one, and struck out 109 batters in 84 innings, uh, though he was not an overpowering pitcher, so perhaps just college and a little advanced for those uh, for those minor league hitters. Uh, but when he returned to the Florida State League in the fall of 67 after the season, he really impressed Mets manager Gil Hodges, who became a fan, uh, which seemed to put Renko on the fast track or, you know, definitely in the prospect pedigree for a organization that was suddenly developing a great deal of pitching talent. 67, of course, Tom Seaver's incredible rookie season. Renko was added to the 40-man roster. He participated in 68 spring training with the Mets for the first time, uh, eventually going to double-A Memphis. Uh, he threw a no-hitter in double-A, striking out 13 and walking two uh, on July 21st, uh, which I thought was interesting and notable because while he never played a game as a Met, he did share one trait with his inaugural franchise, and that is that a professional no-hitter would seem to come close often, or often enough, but would prove quite elusive over what would eventually be Renko's very long Major League Baseball career. He was promoted to AAA uh, for the Mets in August of 68, uh, and 68 AAA was in Jacksonville for the Mets, although in 69 it would be in Tidewater. Uh, but Renko struggled in AAA uh, and began getting passed on the depth chart by the org's plethora of young pitching. Uh, by 68, uh, Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, and Nolan Ryan were all in the starting rotation. Seaver, of course, rookie of the year in 67, Kuzman the runner-up to the great Johnny Bench in 68, and actually, I was looking at the numbers. Kuzman probably should have won it based on war. Uh, I had never known that. I just always heard he lost to Bench and just assumed, well, of course, it was Johnny Bench. What a shame. But that was interesting. And uh, at any rate, uh, by 69, 22-year-old Gary Gentry had whipped through the minors and earned himself a place in the rotation. And so Renko started the 69 season with AAA Tidewater, and the young Mets began to blossom into something amazing, uh, largely on the strength of that young pitching. Uh, so, you know, while the Mets were starting to get good and young, uh, Renko seemed to hit a wall in AAA. He was 3-6 and six with a 5.45 ERA through 11 starts there in 69. While the team, for the first time in its history, uh, was above 500 as the then very early MLB trade, line, trade deadline of June 15th began to approach. The Mets were 30-26 and 26 as of the trade deadline date. Sure, they were already nine games behind a Chicago Cubs team that looked potentially dominant, like they could run away and hide at 41-19 and 19 with a 683 winning percentage and featuring former original Met Jim Hickman from last week's episode on that uh, 69 Cubs team. But the Mets saw an opportunity to compete that year and didn't want to waste that first opportunity to get into a pennant race. Uh, that opportunity would open up an opportunity for a young pitcher struggling at AAA to establish himself in the majors as the Mets 
flush with young pitching, but struggling to generate too much offense beyond Tommy Agee and Cleon Jones, uh, relying on a lot of platoons and the maneuverings of Gil Hodges with that 69 everyday roster, decided to import a slugger to give the team a bit more pop and the ever-important veteran presence. To pick up slugging first baseman Don Clendenin from the Expansion Expos, the Mets traded Steve Renko, along with uh, utility infielder Kevin Collins, another former unformidable subject, along with fellow minor league hurlers Jake Harden and Dave Cologne. Collins was a nice, pesky infielder. Uh, Carden topped out at AAA, uh, seemed to have some potential, and Cologne was more of a rookie flyer who never made it out of the low minors. Uh, so it was left to Renko to salvage something out of the trade for Les Expos. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As a young hurler went from a team with a talented young pitching staff destined to win the 69 World Series in incredibly memorable storied fashion to the franchise that had the worst ERA in the National League at that point in time at 4.36. Naturally, as an expansion franchise, not too surprising. Renko would get recalled, uh, get called up, not recalled, I guess, uh, by the Expos at the end of June after making only two starts in the minors for them in, Mon- in Montreal, and he would never look back, never go back to the minors, and embark on what would become a pretty impressive, stable, uh, 15-year Major League Baseball career. His first MLB start was in Montreal at Jerry Park, made his Major League debut June 27th, 1969, and struggled going two and a third innings, surrendering five runs in suffering a loss. Uh, but he'd get in the win column the very next day, uh, the very next day, the very next start. Um, his second career start was July 1st against the Cubs. Uh, so Renko would help the Mets, who would uh, need to chase down those front-running Cubs down the stretch in August and September, uh, picking up his first career win by defeating Ken Holtzman and the Cubs in an 11-4 game. Uh, he went seven and a third innings, and he carried an 11-1 lead into the eighth, where he tired and surrendered three more runs. I was hoping there'd be some Renko against the Mets drama, but he actually never faced the Mets uh, during the 69 season. Uh, he'd go 6-7 and seven that rookie year, uh, recording a 4.01 ERA and just over 100 innings. Renko would go on to become a fixture in the Expos' rotation and their organization, making 25-plus starts in six of the next seven years. Uh, seemed to be your quintessential control, non-overpowering, smart veteran pitcher, 
and innings eater, uh, one of his historical comps on baseball reference is Steve Traxel, if that helps. Uh, I believe we're talking, you know, if that helps, if you don't remember him uh, pitching, I, should, I don't want to presume the age range of our my audience at all. Uh, hopefully the comp to Steve Traxel is just about numbers and not about how painfully slow Renko pitched, I would would very much hope. But that feels like uh, just kind of pitcher he was. He had double-digit wins and losses in both 1970 and 1971. And, you know, nowadays an innings eater might mean 160 to 180 innings, but Steve Renko in 1971 logged 275 innings pitched uh, to a 3.75 ERA. I alluded to those uh, that chase for a no-hitter. In 1971, Renko threw a pair of complete game one-hit shutouts, uh, June 9th against the Giants and July 9th against the Phillies. Uh, in both of those cases, the lone hit was early in the game, I think in the second inning in both cases. But let's put a pin in that for now. Uh, he struggled through a brutal... Uh, 1972, he walked 67 batters in 97 innings and went 1-10 in 10 with a 5.20 ERA. The Expos uh, reduced his salary by 17% in 1973. Uh, this would kind of be notable and eventually lead to his long-term, his uh, departure from the Expos. Renko was the team's player representative uh, and would be an outspoken player about salary in an era when these issues were really coming to the forefront. Uh, I think I've mentioned on previous podcasts, too. I, I recently read, at the beginning of the year, Lords of the Realm, uh, which is an incredible book on baseball's labor history. Uh, I don't remember if he's mentioned in it, but uh, that is definitely is the era when all of this was really coming to tack. At any rate, uh, Renko uh, was very outspoken about being unhappy about it and would continue to be outspoken about his salary going forward. Uh, and he would respond on the field. He would bounce back from his worst year to have the best season of his career in 1973, helping the young expansion franchise stay in a very muddled 1973 NLE's pennant race. Uh, the, in a year in which the Expos would finish only three and a half games behind the notable You Gotta Believe Mets, uh, Renko was their best pitcher, and he went 2-2 two and two against his former organization, in New York that year. Notable on Renko's side, he threw a 10-inning complete game victory against the Mets 2-1 to at Jerry Park uh, in June or July. I uh, lost track of the date. Uh, at the time, the Expos were 35-39, and 39, uh, the younger franchise better than the 33-41 and 41 Mets on that date. But as a bunch of 500 and sub-500 teams jockeyed for position down the stretch in September of 1973, uh, John Matlack would outduel Steve Renko uh, 1-0, game one of a doubleheader at Jerry Park, uh, en route to the Mets charging to that NL East title. Uh, The Mets swept the doubleheader that day on September 7th. Uh, The doubleheader sweep put the Mets only a half game behind Montreal, uh, the Expos were 68 and 72. The Mets were 68 and 73, but that left those teams only three and a half and four games, respectively, behind the first place Cardinals. 
The Mets would very famously outlast everyone in the division at a robust 82 and 79. The top five teams were separated by five games. Uh, the Expos had uh, the best season of the franchise's young history, 79 and 83. As I said, three and a half games out. And Renko really led the team that year, pitching wise, 15 victories, nine complete games, uh, 2.81 ERA. Uh, he also hit 273 and 88 at bats, uh, as you might guess, as someone who started out as a hitter. Uh, he was a pretty good hitting pitcher. And probably with it went Renko's best chance to pitch in baseball's postseason. Uh, Renko, the Expos succeeded, but Renko was still unhappy with them. And then before the 74 season, as he had such a good season, he of course wanted to be compensated better after the salary cut in 73. Uh, he he seemed very willing, as I think as a player rep, to submit to the newfangled feature in baseball labor relations called salary arbitration, which I believe was available for the first time following the 73 season. Uh, Renko was willing to try it in 74, and the team... And he settled right before the arbitration hearing for about $54,000, a raise from his 30000 in 1973. Uh, but then Renko struggled in 74. Uh, again, you know, all these, I think, seeds of his leaving Montreal, as, as we all know, uh, when players and organizations bicker over salary. In 74, though, Renko, despite a down year, flirted one more time with a no-hitter uh, on June 25th of 74. Uh, he, this time he carried the no-hitter into the 6th uh, when Dave Cash of the Phillies blooped a single just over the middle infield uh, for the sole hit of the game, Renko's third career one-hit shutout. After the 1975 season, Renko was outspoken again when the Expos fired manager Gene Mock. Um, this time, he would start the 76 season with Montreal, but uh, early in the year, at the age of 31, he got shipped out to the Chicago Cubs. While not an original Expo, at the time, he was the last remaining player who had been with the team since its inaugural 69 season, uh, and perhaps not surprisingly then at the time, was Montreal's winningless, winningest pitcher with 68 wins uh, and a 68-82 and 82 record at that point in time. The trade kind of marked the beginning of a then journeyman phase of Renko's career, as he would wind up playing for six teams in his last seven years. He got traded from the Cubs across town to the White Sox in 1977 uh, for the White Sox uh, kind of stretch drive trying to make the playoffs. Uh, they did not, but uh, the White Sox finished 90-72, and 72, uh, so Renko, a good Eight, nine years into his career, it was the first time a team he was on finished with a winning record. After the White Sox, he'd sign with the A's for a year in 78, and then in 79, he would sign with the Red Sox. This is one of my favorite uh, you know, quotes summing up his career, I think, in a weird way. Uh, upon assigning him, Boston manager Don Zimmer said, he's just another starter, uh, which, I mean... But I know this, he's the type of pitcher who always gives you five, six, or seven innings and keeps you in the game. See? Innings eater. The aging Renko had one final gasp at history, though. On July 13th, 1979, he carried a no-hitter into the ninth inning uh, against the Oakland A's, against his team from the previous season, with one out, 
a young rookie you may have heard of named Ricky Henderson blooped a single just over the first baseman's head, ending Renko's fourth bid at a no-hitter. The Red Sox were in a pennant race at the time. Uh, Renko got the next out. Uh, He was one out away from his fourth career one-hitter, but he walked the tying run. Uh, So with two outs, he came out of the game. Uh, He did earn the 2-0 victory, but did finish one batter shy of his fourth career one-hitter. Like the Mets, so many near misses. Uh, I wish I could tell you he got a Johan Santana moment late in his career, but alas, listeners, he did not. Renko was on the Angels in 1982 when they won the American League West, but unfortunately for him, At the age of 37, he was kind of a fourth or fifth starter swingman type. I'm not sure if he just didn't make the ALCS roster or didn't pitch, but he did not appear in the Angels' five-game defeat to the Milwaukee Brewers in the 82 ALCS. I think that Angels team was managed by Gene Mock, interestingly, wasn't it? I mean, I know they were in 86. Let me look that up. Yeah, yeah, they were. Interesting. Oh, that's cool. Um, well, you know, I guess defending Gene Mock when he got fired, uh, yeah, paid off. Renko pitched one last year in 1983 with the Royals. Uh, again, swingman, more, more out of the pen, some starts. Uh, did not see action after August 28th because of a pulled muscle in his leg, uh, which means that that he got his last Major League win on August 23rd, 1983, uh, pitching the Royals to a 10-2 victory over the White Sox. Uh, and then August 28th, uh, he started and lost to the Texas Rangers. He pitched five innings, gave up one run, uh, but the Royals lost one to nothing in what would be Renko's last Major League appearance. But an impressively long and robust career it was. Renko, that last game, was the 451st game he appeared in. Uh, He started 365 of those. He had a career record of 134 and 146 with a 3.99 ERA, pitched just under 2,500 major league innings, 2,494. He was good for 23.6 war, according to baseball reference, over the course of his 15-year major league career, most of that for the Expos. 20.9 of that as a pitcher, and uh, 2.6 of that actually as a hitter. Again, he started as a minor league hitter, and for a pitcher, he was an above-average hitter. Uh, He had six career home runs and a slash line of 215, 250, 286, 536 OPS. Uh, And also stole a few bases, stole three bases in his career, never caught. Uh, it really was pretty good uh, until later in his career, uh, his last couple of years with the Cubs in his 30s. Uh, he did not hit very well, but uh, through his through his time in Montreal, he had batting averages of 292, 273, and 278 in three major league seasons. Uh, love a good hitting pitcher. Love to reminisce about it, especially now that it really doesn't exist much anymore. Renko was out of baseball for six years after his retirement, uh, then spent 12 years as a minor league pitching coach with multiple organizations, retired completely from baseball in 2006. He's currently 77 years old, and according to the article I found, has two sons and four grandchildren, 
and enjoys playing golf in his retirement. I know I mentioned Steve Traxel. If you look at his similarity scores on Baseball Reference, uh, his actual closest comp was Kevin Gross. Uh, Floyd Bannister is in there. Jim Clancy, who I remember being a very good pitcher. Uh, as I said, Steve Traxel is five. And of particular note to Met fans, the 10th most similar pitcher to Steve Renko in similarity score is our Ron Darling. Yes, Renko is not necessarily the kind of player you trade and, you know, uh, you know, bemoan like a like a Nolan Ryan, or you know, like we've bemoaned Jared Kelenic. I don't think he, he obviously didn't have the Nolan Ryan career, and I don't think he was that hyped of a prospect. Still, I suppose by numbers, trading twenty six WAR for an aging thirty three year old first baseman who would only accumulate. 3.4 war for your organization would normally be looked at as a pretty bad trade, but that's not the case when said slugging first baseman etches his name into your franchise's history as World Series MVP in 1969. I don't know who the Mets will uh, acquire at the trade deadline, if anyone, but I hope their tenure here is somehow is as memorable as Don Clendenin's. And if that's the case, I won't care if they have a career. Whoever we trade has a career as good as Steve Renko's, or even better. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcast. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. I'll be away next week. I think and hope one of my colleagues will reminisce about one of their favorite random Mets in my stead, but I'll be back in a couple of weeks with some exciting new stories of past Mets, unlikely all-stars, and very random players. Thank you for your time, and as always, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.